Exit for Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. For all things comics, movies, media, music, and more, check out the Cage Club Network. That's cageclub.me. Once in a great age, there comes a time where many heroes need to be called together for a ridiculous reason, and that reason is mass-producing action figures in multiple continents and through many markets. And in order to do that, Marvel assembled the most bizarre group of creators, none of whom had top titles at the time, and they had them use characters they barely understood, whose voices they couldn't nail. And we called that Marvel Superhero Contest of Champions. In order to have a discussion about the Marvel Superhero Contest of Champions, note, Marvel Superhero, no zzz, we need to call together a true contest of champions, a convocation of incredible, a podcast of pod people. In order to do that, I... Nico Grandmaster. I'm going to call together the greatest people on this network except for Joey because I didn't think to ask him. I summon from the depths co-host Jonah. Guten Tag, listeners. Fucking, he's German. This is amazing. I call next Kyle. Hey, guys. Less German. I summon from the mighty depths Kevo. Pip pip cheerio. Danke Shane. I call out to the great windy city and summon Warpath Dylan. Aloha. Chicago, Hawaii. It's my favorite place. And I reach out into the great unknown of Canada, and I summon someone who hasn't even appeared yet through time and space. I call to us Alpha Flight Mikey. Привет, Kaktila. That's like actually Polish, right? <laughs> Russian. Well, we do have Russians in this Breakfast of Champions. We do, we do. This toaster strudel comes with, with, with Russian, and that's exciting. So... Before we can get any further into this ridiculous roll call, I want to take a moment and just talk a little bit about the Contest of Champions. So, this is three issues that accomplishes absolutely nothing, especially because the one really interesting thing that I want to say for the end that does happen uh, is completely undone by an Avengers annual several years later. So, it's sort of like, what's the fucking point? But Toys. Before all of that. Toys, yes. Oh, and I can't wait to talk about these ugly, ugly toys. But, Jonah, Jonah, I swear, I promise you, one day we will do like three episodes in a row that are just the X-Men. I promise you. We're not at that point because we have uh, so many issues to cover where Marvel wants to expand its branches and give us toys, but those toys come with the worst issues I have ever read. Oh, absolutely. Now, Kyle... Kyle, the last time you, me, and Jonah came together to talk about Darkstar, we were talking about a very different kind of champions. Yes, uh, a horrible group of champions. This isn't much better, though. No, no, the, this, all of these, they seem to act exactly like those champions. Hey, and half of them are those champions, and there's even some weird references to those exact champions. Mm-hmm. 
However, speaking of champions, Dylan. So <laughs> I see Dazzler on the cover and I'm like, oh man, I need Dazzling Dylan to come in and dazzle us with his his Warpathian dazzle Monaness. And I'm so excited to have you here and I'm so eager because you don't just have an amazing base of knowledge that goes as deep as mine, which is always, you know, comforting to have on the show, but you represent a really interesting side of fandom you really you stand for the characters that are are fan favorites that don't get as much respect and i love that so it just made sense that you would be on dazzler and you would come in and you would do a contest of champions with us and how did you feel about all of dazzler's appearances oh her her appearances ha! you mean the one tiny little panel yeah that was yes amazing she has more of an appearance on the cover. Oh, for sure. Where she really looks like she's getting fucked in the ass by a bat. I don't know how else to explain the face <laughs> they drew her making. But like, she oh my. and Namor and Reed Richards and like Falcon are all making this very what are you doing to my feet kind of face. And I'm not crazy about it. That's no way to talk about Angel. uh, God damn, he is clearly the least popular ever on this network. But speaking of popular and this network, we have with us the guy who has inexplicably released like the second most episodes on the network in the last year. My husband, the incredible boyfriend to the wonderful Jonah, an excellent friend to the incredible Dylan and Mikey and Kyle. We have Kevo. So Kevo, 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 Kevy Kevo. I well, promised you that Captain Britain Hi. would meet the rest of the Marvel Universe, didn't I? I threatened you with this you did. for like a year. Uh, you know, this is honestly not the worst thing I've ever read. I That doesn't make it good, but I've read so many classic comics that have made me cringe so much harder than this. This was just weird and pointless, and I will take weird and pointless over actually completely bad pretty much any day like the entire first issue is just collecting heroes for no reason i agree it's really frustrating because in so many ways that was kind of like our problem with the first episode or two of defenders on netflix if you're going to spend all this time just getting everybody together you need to give me a little bit more in the issue but i think what's really interesting about that is i was a little hard on this book i know jonah and kevo were hard kyle has already stated he thinks it's terrible dylan i haven't gotten your opinion yet but i do know that mikey was super positive on this as we were talking about it when so mikey's going to be coming in and mikey's going to be hosting alpha flight with us which is such a great inclusion for him he's a guy who's been in comics for a while and it's really exciting to have you here and when i saw sasquatch taking up a third of the cover i said well i need my own jim bro mikey to come in and help me take up a third of the cover so this is your first proper appearance on the network and it's great to have you do you want to tell us a little bit about your experience with comics I was first really exposed to the cartoons from the 80s and the 90s, and I had an uncle who had over 50,000 issues of various comics, and he collected since the very beginning, so I was exposed really early. I didn't start reading on my own until I had an income at about 16 or 17 at a part-time job, so then I started around Civil War and Secret Invasion, and then I've been reading regularly since then, but all the characters, well, most of them, I've been familiar with throughout the years. So I really love that you said that because that does help indicate something really specific. There is more to having a podcast than just having your friends come out and talk about things. Now, I frequently 
comment that it's unfortunate that we don't have more women running around this show, though I do believe a very specific, very badass, very brilliant female comic creator is going to be coming on and sharing a little bit of her own opinions without fear in the next few months, and I'm really excited to have that person on. So if you know, if you've been following HTML, you've definitely been hearing a bit about this person. But it's really important to have people that represent different ideals and different concepts in fandom. For instance, the age range on our team is about 15 years. To hear Mikey say that Civil War and Secret Invasion came out in high school for him, well, I feel like an old man, but that is really interesting. It's also worth noting that Mikey is our token straight today. Was there supposed to be an applause there? Uh, yeah, that, that's how I'm related to you. Yeah, loving boobs is all on you right now. You are literally all of the boob love, so... <laughs> Hold on, wait, no, you could be gay and love boobs. Probably not the same way, though. That's fair, but we're going to be expecting you, Mikey, to speak up for all straight guys and say, Hey, I don't like this treatment of women. Women should be treated better. It's all on you, man. Good luck. All right, I'll hang that cape. Yeah, I made the joke to the group the other day. It's a bunch of gay guys sitting around talking about a golden globe of life, but it's not the one you think it is. No, we have everybody's opinion on this. I think it's meh. Jonah thinks it's pointless. Kevo thinks it's pointless. Kyle thinks it's bad. Dylan, Mikey liked it. Hey, Mikey, he likes it. Where are you at with this title, Dylan? I go with the majority. The crazy misogyny and racism and just awful nicknames that are just playing on racism and misogyny. Yeah. I completely agree with you, and I think one of my favorite things is that was one of the first things Mikey said to me when we were talking about this in the green room. Mikey was like, yeah, there was a lot of racism. Were you surprised, Mikey? I know you haven't done as many old comics with us, so we've run into nonstop misogyny in the pages of Dazzler. We've come across incredible sorts of xenophobia in the form of Storm's relationship with nudity. But Mikey, this was your first foray into the sort of Bill Mantlo comic realm that we all keep finding ourselves in over and over again against our wills. Did you find yourself surprised at the level of political incorrectness that was completely acceptable in 1982? Yeah, so reading it for the first time in 2019 with how everything is nowadays, and it was very surprising to see it especially since the black panther movie came out last year and it grossed an incredible amount of money it was nominated for an oscar so so many great things about that movie and to look back at history and to see just i don't know like wolverine just calling him and referring to him as blackie was something that i would have expected from something written in the 40s or the 30s or prior to that not something from the 80s and remembering those that time that time period i don't know i think something that was geared towards children and teens i was kind of off-putting by it absolutely i make a number of references to what i think is one of the most horrible things that the x-men ever did in the 1960s in the late 60s early 70s the x-men find themselves in egypt and in a fit of rage in a moment of battle cyclops attacks a human being from Egypt, referring to him as a camel jockey. So we are barely, barely past an era in which our heroes were not just permitted to use ethnic slur in the heat of battle, but it was almost expected. I, for one, am really glad that we are taking a look at this time in Marvel Comics history, not just for its history, but for how we can learn from it. 
Contest of Champions ran three issues in 1982. These issues were storied by Mark Grunewald, Bill Mantlow, and Stephen Grant, with a script by Mantlow, and pencils by Nico all-time favorite, John Romita Jr. Inks were done by Pablo Marcos, with lettering by Joe Rosen. My copy is so old and so funny looking because of the way ink kind of smudges over the years that it really, really looks to me like it says the catering was done by Andy Yankus and Patricia DeFalco. But I'm going to assume that's coloring. It's easy to tell that that's going to be coloring very frequently. And to this day, many colorists are actually either the wives or husbands of the people doing the line art. So... That's actually really exciting to see DeFalco. It's probably connected to Tom DeFalco, who was one of the editors at the time. Additional art was provided by X-Factor's Bob Layton. Additionally, Mark Grunewald, who helped Story, served as an additional editor with Jim Shooter as editor-in-chief. Jim Shooter would go on to create The Secret Wars at Marvel, another attempt to create toys. But, as Kevo pointed out, we really can't talk about the Marvel Superhero Contest of Champions without discussing the fact that it's, well, about toys. Toys. Toys, toys, toys. Toys. Guys, have you gotten... They wanted you to buy toys. Did you figure out that they wanted you to buy toys? They're the toys that made us. Pretty much. I think it's so funny because most of these characters don't get personalities and they're just sort of smushed together. Just so smushy. Smushy, smushy. Now, if you could buy any action figure from this line, just thinking about the story, if you could buy any of these guys, Mikey, who would you pick up? I mean, I collect figures, so I collect the Marvel Legends figures, and somebody like Captain Britain's hard to find, so I probably would pick up somebody that I can't find or can't find easily. You know, it's really funny you should say that. Kebo just bought me a Captain Britain action figure I've been eyeing for several years. So just the other day, just like three days ago, when I picked up House of X, which, by the way, House of X was literally the best fucking single issue I have ever read in my life, and I can't wait to get to 2029, where we can finally be talking about House of X. Now, Dylan, Dylan, like I said, you stand for the unstandables. You represent the unrepresented. You, sir, are the mutant social justice warrior. When you opened up the pages of this ridiculous mashup that reads like an unauto-tuned Britney Spears track, haha, I got it in. Let's not be making fun of Britney. <laughs> Hey, I'm never making fun of Britney. I'm just always making fun of Britney's inability to handle an auto-tune. So I have to know, my Monet, my, not Monet, like the closer I get to you, the less attractive you are, because you know, you're a very handsome man. But my, my Warpath, my, my Monet, my M-King, what, what figure would you pick up from this contest of champions? If they made one for Sabra, that's who I would pick up. Because of course I'm oh picking God. a C-lister. I would no, I'm obsessed with... I, that's literally... You can ask Kevo and Jonah. I'm like, how come you guys aren't talking to me about how great you think she is? Like, <laughs> everyone should want to... Like, I call her Ruth. We're on a first-name basis. I love Ruth. So you will never hear me say a bad word about her. And I know this is going to be a bit of a deep cut and probably only appreciated by Dylan, but nobody draws her as well as Alan Davis in that Alan Davis run of Uncanny X-Men from the late 90s, early 2000s, just before The Twelve and The Shattering. 100%. Literally the best she ever looks. Yeah, I completely agree. Way better hair than in these. <laughs> yeah, her, uh, I don't know how to describe, what do you call it when it's like, what do you call it when the mullet is, um, party in the front and party in the back? <laughs> you just call it bad. So, oh, you just call it unforgivable. But, Kevo, <laughs> seeing as you are the gentleman who did just gift me with an amazing Brian, 
Who would you pick up from this here crazy action figure factor? I don't know. I liked toy collections, so I wouldn't be able to pick just one. If I had to pick, like, one of the teams from this story, for example, probably DDs, because he and Sue were on the same side, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. I don't were. remember anymore. Yeah. It's all a big blur. Yeah. So their team, probably, because I liked, I liked all of them. Okay, I can respect that. Being unable to commit to just a single hero and instead wanting to represent the spectrum of heroes that this is meant to represent is a pretty cool call. Of course, I'm not going to be that forgiving of Jonah. Jonah, give me a hero. Because nobody has any form of a discernible personality and I don't really care about any of these people. Except for maybe Storm, but I wouldn't pick Storm. I'm going to pick off based off costume and aesthetic and I have a tie between Captain Britain and Vanguard. Now I know that maybe I'm traitorous to my country for picking Vanguard, but I actually really like his design. I think it's a little shoehorn and a little too cheeky that he has a sickle and a hammer but he's kind of just like the buff hot russian he-man so i'll go with that (laughs) wait i need to change my answer i'm gonna pick that one too (laughs) see like i just want arabian knight because i just want to fuck the shit out of arabian knight like i just want to be like just please please hot sexy arabian (laughs) knight daddy i i just want to be your your loving top boy and just take care of you i want to i just love you kyle now that i have made that really uncomfortable for everybody who would you pick for your action figure shelf my good friend Oh, geez. So as somebody who did not have action figures growing up and honestly reading this, I kind of find it hard to decide on anybody that would make me want to buy a toy of them. The closest that I'd probably get to is maybe, oh, I don't know, um, maybe Daredevil or Storm. And, you know, I think it's so interesting that you're saying that this didn't inspire you to want to buy the toys. Because that was its whole purpose. This existed exclusively to generate a product line that would help bring Marvel to a worldwide audience and a worldwide market. And that is, of course, why Marvel went out of their way to create a number of new heroes that would service an international audience. Of course, for all of the great characters that they introduced, they also managed to include a number of recognizable faces. The Grandmaster begins a battle against the Unknown in which they decide that the characters of the Marvel Universe, just the heroes, which is a weird choice, will be pitted against each other in a contest of champions. The Grandmaster chooses Captain America, Darkstar, Captain Britain, Wolverine, Sasquatch, Daredevil, She-Hulk, The Thing, and original characters Talisman, Defensor, Le Peregrine, and Blitzkrieg. The Unknown's team is a confluence of Iron Man, Vanguard, Iron Fist, Storm, the Arabian Knight, Sabra, the Invisible Woman, Angel, who in this story believes he's invented flying, Black Panther, and Shamrock, who is a new character, as well as Sunfire. For my money, I think this is a very whitewashed multicultural team, somehow, but I would love to get your guys' opinions. Kyle, as somebody who's read probably the greatest breadth of the Marvel Universe on this show so far, when this was the team, when you saw Darkstar, when you saw Hellcat, when you saw even Icarus of the Eternals, who was starting to get a number of press announcements thanks to the upcoming film, what was your first reaction to this insane group of heroes? 
I was surprised by just how many characters from all around the world we were seeing in this. And I was hopeful that, hey, maybe these characters would get some uh, spotlight, you know? Oh, 100%, because I can't help but notice the number of, of characters I love that randomly got opportunities to interact. While, yeah, Iceman looking like the Chris Star Warrior meeting Dark Star again doesn't do much for me. I love Beast being dwarfed by Sasquatch and X-51 meeting Vision. I'm a big fan of both Dr. Druid and Damien Hellstrom, specifically their Warren Ellis runs from the 90s. So seeing that panel of the two of them face-to-face was almost as much fun as seeing the panel of Spider-Man meets Spider-Woman. Of course, this did lead us to a number of heroes that we had never interacted with before. Not just new heroes, but some familiar faces that would be new to the familiar faces of X for Podcast. Keva, were there any characters that were introduced in this first issue of people blipping to this magical battlefield that took you by surprise or that you were excited to see for the first time? Honestly, I just found the whole thing, like, incredibly overwhelming upon first read. I think I would need to, like, digest it a lot to really process it. There's so many people and so many unexpected faces, and we just kept jumping from different area to different area. And I, not being as deeply versed in the Marvel Universe, I'm not even sure which characters were introduced for the first time here which characters have existed already for like 20 years there was so much going on i think if anything i appreciated i guess the number of characters that i recognized more than i appreciated the number of characters that i didn't because there were so many that i had never even heard of before And I feel very much the same way with these choices of characters. Now, Mikey and Jonah are the two anchors on Alpha Flight with me, where we get to talk about the incredible team created by the then-incredible John Byrne. And I've so enjoyed watching Mikey come to understand who Alpha Flight is as a narrative team and a narrative voice, even though we haven't gotten to the meat of their run yet. But it is certainly questionable that Walter Lankowski, the Incredible Sasquatch, replaced Vindicator in this lineup. Now, Mikey, as the guy who's been following Vindicator since his first appearance and seen him take on his team, Alpha Flight, what were your thoughts on seeing Sasquatch, the muscle of Alpha Flight, replace their tactical leader? I think it was more of, like you said, to sell toys. I think a Sasquatch toy could go up against an Incredible Hulk toy, a Beast toy. If you were like me and you mixed universes, you can have him go up against Superman, Swamp Thing, anybody. And I think it was more of, it's more appealing to have a Sasquatch action figure than anything else. So I think that and the popularity of the character might have been why to go that route, but I I dug it. You know, and I'll agree, the popularity of the character is something I guess I should have considered in the first place. Sasquatch has already received several appearances outside of the regular Alpha Flight appearances, including an Incredible Hulk annual. So, I do love that you immediately thought to pit him up against the Incredible Hulk. Now, for everything we've discussed, for all of the positives that we've raised with this, I do need to bring up an incredible negative that, that really does still bother me. Out of the 24 champions picked, only four are women. Now, Dylan, Jonah, as sort of our two... There are six women. There are six women. Well, thank you. Who did I miss? Let me recount. Oh, nope. Yep. I did not see Sabra right there. (sighs) Okay. Let's try that again. 
Woof. Oh, nope, and Shamrock. You know what? I'm going to leave that in because I'm like looking at it and I'm like, how did I not realize Shamrock's a woman? Ah, because she's dressed like a Hydra agent. So Yeah, that kept tripping me up. It took a few times for them specifically directly referring to Shamrock as a woman for me to be like, right, 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 right. Nikhydra over here. Now, with... So, okay. <laughs> so Jonah and Dylan, you're our two radicalized feminists, and... I want to know how you guys feel coming from Dazzler, a title anchored by a woman, and X-Men, a title that has slowly but surely become much more female-centric. How do you guys feel that this title sort of eliminates the idea of the strong woman, demoting Storm to a background player, keeping Sue as the invisible girl, not the invisible woman? In fact, I would say the only woman who shows any great self-possession here would be Sabra, though Shamrock gets a few cool moments. What did you guys think? It was actually one of the first things that I noticed was that there are only six women picked for these 24 champions by the Grandmaster and the Unknown. And that really upset me because especially this book is trying to state that there are so many heroes all over the world and you can come from anywhere and be a hero. But out of the 24 picked, only six were women. You deem these six women more appropriate to add than anybody else but that doesn't represent the larger world that we live in there are more than just six women that you could pick from you could have created six new characters for women i would argue you could have made it half and half you know it's a lot of what we talk about is good representation and when only one fourth of the 24 heroes you're spotlighting are women it really says volume about how you view women i agree with you 100 percent. however in 1982 i probably wouldn't have agreed with you And I completely agree with that. And that's why it's so important that no podcast have the same people saying the same things over and over again. This is not necessarily a negative statement in any way, because as somebody who immigrated to this country, you have a very different perception of things than I do from virtue of your experiences, the fact that you natively know more than one language, the fact that you were raised in a culture that was eager to hold on to itself in a new country. There's tons of things you represent that I don't understand. At the same time, growing up gay, it is much harder to look away from misogyny and other marginalized people, though, you know, white cis gays would have you believe otherwise. So I really like that you pointed out that in 1982, that wouldn't have been your experience. And frankly, what we saw from X-Men Classic in 1990, it wouldn't have been much different either. Dylan, what were your thoughts? I would agree with what Jonah said about some of the original characters. And it would have maybe been nice to make some of those male original characters into women, or at least some more people of color. And just in this time frame of Marvel, like we've been discussing on the Dazzler podcast, it's kind of funny that they wouldn't have thrown Dazzler in here too to market her even more. Because that's been our point. They just keep sticking her places. She doesn't make sense. Yeah. And to have the little to have the little fuss about Spider-Woman and Spider-Man in that first issue, it's kind of shocking that since Spider-Man wasn't even chosen by any of the people picking teams on here, it's Kind of funny that they didn't throw her in there. Yeah, speaking of the people that didn't get chosen, such iconic visuals didn't get chosen. The Human Torch was not chosen, which, shocking to me. 
Cyclops was not chosen. The Incredible Hulk was not chosen. Dazzler, who was being shoved in every fucking title at this point, not chosen. Thor, not chosen. There were so many heroes that I felt were definitive of the Marvel Universe at the time, not chosen, that it does make some of these original characters even more bizarrely questionable. While everyone was talking about the number of women that were in contest of champions, and Dylan brought up the number of people of color who were in contest of champions, I looked up my notes for Avengers Endgame, and out of the 30 named heroes that are in the final battle of Avengers Endgame, 10 are women, and 10 are people of color. So while 6 out of 24 of the contest of champions heroes are women, so like a quarter, the only advancement in nearly 30 years is that that has been increased to a third instead. I don't think it's going to take our brilliant engineering student or our computer sciences guy to explain to us that that is an incredibly unreasonably small increment. You don't need to be a mathematician to understand that moving from a fourth to a third is not nearly enough progress. Because I also want to make a couple of really interesting points. Kevo and I attended a House of X opening at a local comic shop because I was not going to miss out on these variant covers. <laughs> I needed them. I was outside the shop at quarter to 11. And I want to point out, there were almost as many women as men standing outside that shop. There were at least two ethnic minorities, myself included, as a Latino man. There was a father with his son. It's not one straight white guy buying comics anymore. So the idea that we have only advanced comics, culturally speaking, so little when a random sampling would indicate that it's a bit more diverse than that is very frustrating. It's impossible to go to Comic-Con and look out on the stage worth of people. Every time I give a panel in one of the big panel halls, my first thought is, this is like 300 people and they don't all look the same. It's not one sea of pale. Yeah, I need to make sure my panel material reflects the interests of a wide breadth of people, because that's what you're looking at. You're looking at the depth of fandom as fandom has evolved. Now, it's important to remember that fandom has evolved consistently and powerfully since Contest of Champions, but if it weren't for things like Contest of Champions by Bell Mantlo and JRJR, we would not be talking about the ability for Avengers Endgame to advance. In so many ways, Contest of Champions gave us the seedlings of something like Avengers Endgame. And I think it's a really good thing that we're able to look back and say, these were the good things, these were the bad things. I'm so glad it's grown. I also just need to correct myself real quick. It's actually 11 people of color, not 10. It's a little bit confusing because three of them are aliens in heavy makeup. So... I, I really understand. Is it... Is... Zoe Saldana Latina, or is she Lagrina? It's really a like difficult is, balance there. Like, Korg is played by Taika Waititi, but he's also a rock monster. So do you count that? I, I think you do, but at the same time, it's confusing. So like, 10-11. He's a gay rock monster. Theoretically. So yeah, they actually made a Korg plush as a New York Comic Con exclusive. So I, of course, pre-ordered it, because I get to have a giant gay rock monster baby. It's everything I've ever needed. Hi, everybody. I'm Joey Lewandowski. I run the Cage Club Podcast Network and host way too many of its shows, like Too Fast, Too Forever, the Fast and the Furious podcast, Cruise Club, the Tom Cruise podcast, and Hanks for the Memories, the Tom Hanks podcast. 
Previously, on me talking about the few comic books that I've read, I talked about how my dad read Crisis on Infinite Earths and The Death and Return of Superman to me. Today, I'm going to talk about something that's in the running for my favorite thing of all time, Sam and Max. If you don't know Sam and Max, here's a primer. Sam's a dog, and Max is a sociopathic lagomorph, and don't you dare call him a rabbit. They're freelance police. In the computer game, Sam and Max Hit the Road, which is in the running for my favorite video game of all time, they're on the trail of a missing Bigfoot and wind up stopping at such historic landmarks as the world's largest ball of twine, the Mystery Vortex, and the Celebrity Vegetable Museum. There isn't a doubt in my mind why the cross-country road trip I took after graduating from college was peppered with stops at roadside attractions. It's because of Sam and Max. The Sam and Max comic debuted in the late 1980s, and the issues were collected and released in the mid-90s, right around the time the computer game came out, or right around the time at least that I discovered the computer game. The collection is probably the most valuable comic I own, but I'd never part with it. Also, I read it so much that it's falling apart, so there's that. I need to read it again, if only so that I can remind myself how to make an Uzi out of bricks of soap on the off chance that if I ever get sent to jail, I'll have something to defend myself with. Also, also, we named the cats my family got while I was in high school Sam and Max. I told you this was important to me. The original run of the comic book is super rare and out of print. Several years ago, I know they re-released in a hardbound, a beautiful hardbound Sam and Max comics, which I bought as well. I don't know how popular Sam and Max is in the world as a whole. I would love to hear if you know Sam and Max too, either from the computer game or the comics, or that weird 90s animated show that wasn't very good but also tried, or the semi-recent Telltale Games re-releases, which were kind of weird and not exactly what I loved about the originals. But I hope if you're able to get your hands on some of these issues, you'll love them as much as I do. If you want to know more about me, you can find all the shows I host at cageclub.me joey, or find me just about everywhere on the internet at soulpopped. Bonus points if you know what that's a reference to. I want to thank everybody for coming out. It's been such a great time talking about the Contest of Champions. What's funny is, as we were preparing for this episode, everybody said to me, are you sure there's going to be enough to discuss for multiple episodes when the first issue is just blip, 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 blip? But, you know, there's so much context to this contest that it's almost impossible not to take the time and deeply investigate these ideas which gave birth to the modern Marvel Universe and, in turn, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It has been an amazing, uncanny, incredible experience having all of my co-hosts come together, except Joey. And that's just going to have to be because I forgot to invite Joey. So I'm really excited to talk about issues two and three. But until then, looks like we've got a bit of a roll call to do. So, Mikey, where can everybody find you? You can uh, find me on Twitter at MikeTheBorg9. Terrific. Dylan, how about you? Everybody can find me on Instagram under Warpath underscore Dylan, or you can find me on Facebook at my X-Men Facebook group, House of X, which we had that name first about three years before the comic. And I do want to go out of my way to say that House of X is consistently the kindest, most open and inviting Marvel group I have come across on Facebook. It's actually one of the ways I connected with Dylan. I cannot be more positive on what an inviting, welcoming group it is. If you're looking for an opportunity to discuss X-Men with a number of excellent fans ranging from writers, artists, to world-famous cosplayers, you've got a little bit of everything in that group, and I definitely recommend checking it out. And speaking of world-famous and wonderful, Kevo, where can everybody find you? You can find me on Photograms and Tweeters at Kevo Reilly, K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y, or you can find me on the Facebook page oh, for my Oh, follow us Migos. on Tweeters! Yes. 
Or you can find me on the Facebook page for me and Nico's show, Husbands Talking More or Less at Official HTML. You can also find me and Nico producing super cool, super fun, super inclusive superhero comics at KidRiotsComic.com. KidRiotComics.com. I almost got it out correctly. Hey, you know what? All that matters is that you want it to be correct. That's half the battle. Now, Kyle, 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 before you resurface on this show in some very mighty, worthy way, where can everybody find you on the interwebs? Everyone can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Drantis82. Tremendous. So then, I guess that just leaves the incredible JoJo crawler. Where can everybody locate you on the internet until we return to our great contest? If you would like to find me and reach out to me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at JonahRubino and at Jonah.Rubino. Nico, where can everybody find you? As always, you guys can find me on every inch of this crazy network, whether it's making HTML husbands talking more or less with my incredible husband, or it's doing this wonderful show where I get to talk about comics, even now and again with my childhood best friend, Chris Podcasts, where we're finally talking about not just Carly Rae Jepsen, but all pop music again. That said... I find myself desperately missing Carly Rae Jepsen. You can also find me on Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. You can find me making music on Facebook over at Facebook.com slash ActionDuo, as well as a number of exciting appearances coming up later this year. You can find us at FlameCon in New York in August. You can find us at New York Comic Con in October at the Jacob Javits Center. You can also feel free to check out my workshop for my new opera, The Interlopers, which will be appearing online in October. I also have an appearance at FIT's Diverse City Convention, speaking about being Cuban later in October. God, I'm everywhere. But until I'm back here, we'll see ya.